Welcome to the IoT Podcast Show. I'm your host, Tom White. Today we are joined by Dan Cunliffe and Dr. Arzun Usman from Pangea. Dan is the Managing Director of Pangea and co-founder. Pangea is a global recognised leader in IoT connectivity and a multi-award winning IoT solutions platform. Dan's been recognised for his team-first approach to leadership, resilience in the face of challenge and commitment to helping Pangea partners optimise their results. And the numbers really do speak for themselves. Pangea recently secured over £2 million for their partners while saving them an equal amount of money, whilst keeping over 80,000 students connected to the internet during recent lockdowns. Arsene Usman is credited with over 40 academic publications within the wireless communications field, with a key focus on 5G. He's leading the in-depth research of Pangea's 5G project, a world first in video compression and data transfer capabilities. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having us. We're very, very excited. You're welcome. Um, Dan, if I could just kick off by asking you, uh, what led you to founding Pangea? Oh, many roads, I think. Um, you know, my background is quite techy. Um, I guess my my qualifications are in things like applied maths and um, computer science and a bit of engineering thrown in there. Um, just to top it off, I, I ended up being a teacher actually when I came to this country, to the UK, um, uh, back in what's what's it, 2007, so quite a while ago. But yeah, what led me there was particularly my um, kind of love for tech and working with people. Um, so one of my kind of formative jobs in the UK was working for Telefonica O2, where I ran partners and strategy for their broadband business. So it was all about um, their broadband business, but but we exited that business after doing fairly well um, to, to Sky, which is now Sky Broadband, actually. Ah. And um, I then uh, took the opportunity to convince uh, my operations manager at the time, Chris Ramika, to co-find uh, or with uh, me on Pangea. So, and and having that kind of interest working with, um, we had a very similar strategy to what we have now at Pangea at O2, which was we working through partners. So everything we sell, everything we do is through a channel. So we don't necessarily go direct. We don't try and sell to direct customers. We work with our partners. And um, yeah, so I, I thought, you know what, um, six, six and a half years ago that the Internet of Things um, has got so much to give in various directions, there's so much more to do. How awesome would it be if we could build a channel strategy and give, at that time, I suppose, a kind of UK telecoms channel the opportunity to sell these products into their existing customers? Um, and that's sort of how we got started. And um, yeah, the, the the usual kind of intro stories is like, you know, we probably started of just playing golf. It was like in September when we sort of thought about it. And then we realized we're playing too much golf and not enough thinking, so we should probably think a bit more. And then, uh, yeah, it just began in the sort of, you know, the whole bedroom story. And um, and here we are seven years later, six years later. Fantastic. Yeah, that's uh, that's a real varied background, certainly from an academic perspective as well. So yeah. applied applied maths and computer science, uh, you know. Do you know, it's, um, well, I've, I've always... Um, I've always enjoyed working with people. Like, I suppose if you want to call it like in a bit of a sales environment or an account management environment. And... Um, kind of call it my sort of pre-Pangea years was a lot about that was actually about trying to get people to buy into technology whether that be O2's 
network or before that I worked at a company called the cloud, which is all about Wi-Fi technology. So it was always about like, Hey, you know what, this thing we're trying to, I suppose, sell you is actually going to be quite good for you. And this is why, and these are the technical reasons. And I found that having that background and the ability to speak, um, you know, fairly sort of, um, I don't know how you want to put it, but you know, uh, kind of, kind of give the client the assurances, not just like, Hey, I'm trying to sell you this for that amount of money. It's about this is the reason why it's going to be good or actually buy this one of ours or that one of ours because that helps you people people really buy into that if you are genuine and mm. so i think i think that was useful for me but yeah it's a it's a long way since um you know working out some of the more random applied math reasons in south africa where we would we would do things like could you could you predict which um uh, which vineyard is going to produce the best wine based on the last 50 years of rainfall. That's the kind of stuff we used to do. Yeah. Okay. And then drink it, of course. I mean, that's the obvious, yeah. <laughs> that's the obvious answer at the back of it. Yeah. I mean, if, if only machine learning, right? Had its, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, but no, it's interesting. I think, well, my, my background was in uh, computing for real time systems. So I think it's something that kind of transcends where you are and where you grow up and what you do and where and where where you end up it might not be that you're actually there at the coal face but you're involved somehow in the industry and that's and that's nice to know because i think it legitimizes what you're doing doesn't it um fantastic and arslan yourself so you've got a uh, a, a deep background in, in in telco also um worked at, at kingston university is that right yes um thanks tom so um i have uh, nearly nine years of experience in research and development uh, all across the world, including uh, recently in UK. Um, so I came to UK three years ago and I joined one of the biggest wireless communication related research groups here. Uh, it's working under the umbrella of Digital Information Research Center. It's in, it's in fact uh, one of the biggest research groups uh, in UK, not just in Kingston University. So I work with Wireless Multimedia Networking Research Group and my expertise was always about quality of experience and 5G networks. Yeah. So before that, I was working uh, as a full-time research assistant alongside uh, working on my doctorate uh, in wireless communication in South Korea. Uh, so I was leading six different industrial projects, uh, mainly revolving around multimedia networks and uh, next generation cellular communication. So 5G right now is, of course, uh, it has got a lot of limelight and it's a lot mm -hmm. of, it's in the heat of the moment right now. Uh, but back then, 10 years ago, when I started actually, uh, you can say just rumors about the next generation of cellular technology that is 5G. So I started thinking that I should uh, sort of get back into R&D. And uh, because um, my main studies were related to telecommunication engineering uh, right. nine years ago when uh, I was in Sweden, uh, but it was mainly focused towards industry. And I sort of sort of had interest in uh, research from the beginning. So I shifted my focus towards research and uh, started working in 5G networks. So I worked in different research groups uh, across the world in Sweden, in, in Nigeria with uh, Alcatel Lucent, which is now Nokia, in South Korea, then now currently in UK. So my title says I am a system architect, but I do 
Uh, <laughs> Arslan of... belongs to the Matrix, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I was going to say it sounds like a it sounds like a great catch, doesn't it's just it? A you know, program that like turns up where he needs to make. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, no, which, he's a wonderful which, human. <laughs> yeah, which pill did you take? The red or the blue? I, you know, uh, that's that's it's yeah. amazing. Um. So yeah, so yeah, fantastic background and and uh, you know very complimentary uh, by the sounds of it. Um, I mean, guys, your your so Pangea, your slogan is connecting everything. Um, in your opinion, I don't know who wants to answer this first, but what sectors are we seeing advancing connectivity right now for some of our listeners that may not be aware? And and similarly, uh, what ones um, could benefit from growing connectivity? In your opinions. Yeah, I might I might start Arslan and maybe you can talk us through um, some of the areas that, that you're probably looking at a bit closer at the moment. But yeah, I mean that's that's the slogan and for anyone who doesn't know what the word means, it's it's it's, it's the kind of ancient Greek word of connecting all the continents back together, essentially. And so, you know, we came up with the name um, in a London bar when one of my then uh, sort of shareholders asked me, like, how, you know, what are you gonna call this thing? And I was like, you know, I, I kinda like this word Pangea. And the, and the point of that is is we we are very proud of the ability to again help our partners connect to uh, and connect things pretty much pretty much anywhere in the world now um, across different um, uh, I suppose sectors. So your question about like what's leading the way, what's kind of going for us, we um, we have to be prepared to work in any sector because our partners will bring us a deal to connect you know, a little device or maybe a very kind of high bandwidth device or something that needs, um, you know, LTEM, which is a different type of technology for lower power solutions. For me, I think we're at a very interesting pers perspective right now where I think for the last six years, it's been a kind of relative focus on high volume of connections. So I'm, I'm kind of trying to explain a sector, right? So like high volume of connections and probably lower amounts of bandwidth or or amounts of data so you're sort of up to 20 megabytes per thing that you're connecting so what is that right like so that's like telemetry devices that is vehicle tracking that could be um asset tracking um, predictive maintenance which is really interesting market where you can you know if you kind of dumb it down a bit one of our clients is in uh, sells a lot into construction so if you imagine um the construction industry is hiring tools all the time. Yeah, because they're not going to buy all the tools they need. So they'll hire a bunch of tools in, they'll use that drill or that pneumatic drill or whatever it might be. That device has been used to within a certain tolerance before it breaks. Yeah. But when you return that device to the shed or to the guy who's rented it to you, how cool would it be if they knew what the tolerances was it hit? So that pneumatic drill has been, you know, it's done 95% of the tolerance for vibration or 100% of the heat that it's meant to take. That kind of information that says, you know what, don't send this guy back out again. Like get him refurbed, almost like a super sub, right? Get a, get a, get him fixed before you send him out again. Because the biggest cost for these tool hire companies is going to fix something that's broken or replacing it. That's where their big cost is because they make no return on it. So, so that whole market time has been super um, buoyant, you know, fleet management, telemetry devices, asset tracking and globally. What I'm seeing now, probably the last 12 to 18 months, is this increase in, I want more data. Yeah, I want more information. It's great that I know the tolerances, but I also want to know um, real time the tolerances rather than tell me when you get back. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it's, I need more of the same. I need to know more. And now you're kind of going up a stack where guys are 
actually the devices are getting more powerful, the networks are more stable, and they're just demanding more real-time information to make better decisions. So now you're moving up the stack to maybe, you know, sort of multiple gigabytes per per endpoint. And so those sectors are now starting where um, you probably have better interaction with things like your, um, you know, uh, I suppose analytics-driven platforms that sit in the device almost at that point, like just giving constant information. So. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, earlier stages, I'd say currently, you know, you've got your well, kind of last six years is that telemetry asset management, monitoring, um, high volume, low data. Now I'm seeing sort of medium volume, maybe even lower volume, but way more data required um, in those sectors. And then you're getting into in-car, Wi-Fi, vehicle-to-vehicle conversation, um, even even improvements on digital screens, yeah, that need more bandwidth to deliver the services that people want. Does that make sense in sort of a weird way? I mean, I yeah. went on one there, but no, 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 it's fine. It back, you know? Yeah, it's okay. No, I, I liked it. It's uh, sometimes you've got to go with the flow, right? Um, no, no, complete, completely understand. And I think that's a lot of what we hear on the podcast. It's a lot of what we see in the market right now. So yeah, completely. Uh, and it's nice to take take your view on that. And um, yeah, so as you know, as kind of going further, you know, there's a there's a big play in, in healthcare as well. Um, I mean, Auslan will probably sort of talk a bit more about that, but I find healthcare pretty pretty interesting because the technology is required. Um, uh, sort of, you know, when are we going to always get the thing we want? Because it's not always about. It's great to think about healthcare. It's actually about whether or not, you know, the bodies who run the healthcare are able to actually deliver it because the systems are usually behind what we're trying to deliver as innovative IoT businesses. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, regarding healthcare and other IoT related things, so it's for me connecting everything is uh, it simply means when you, for example, you go out for a walk and you see things around you, for example, uh, just five years ago, uh, if you went around Kingston where we are based, you would see the garbage cans, they were always over flooded. So that was a big annoyance. But right now they all have these IoT sensors and they are connected with the headquarters, I don't know the name, who are actually sort of responsible for collecting the garbage. Uh, so now they're embedded with these IoT sensors and they're connected. So they all always know that, okay, the garbage can is full or not. And this saves a lot of resources as well. So it's the concept of connecting everything comes in place from there. Um, regarding uh, healthcare, so it's absolutely, I completely agree with Dan. Uh, the technology aspect of uh, connectivity is far ahead than the actual, uh, the policies that you see in the government and in bodies like NHS all across the world. So connectivity-based options, they're already there. <clears throat> For example, we are working on a project right now, uh, which is about uh, exchange of pre-hospital information with connected hospitals or remote hospitals. We will dig in further about this uh, later on in the podcast. Uh, but um, so it's it has to go hand in hand, right? So the NHS policies, they have to be inclined yeah. towards uh, these kind of projects as well. Uh, though the pandemic situation in UK and everything, it has played a very big role in UK's policy shift towards telemedicine and telehealth. So I think uh, the IoT play field is very bright. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you for that, guys. I mean, you led me on quite nicely to the, to the next 
thing that I was going to mention. So clearly the healthcare sector has become highly ingrained within IoT. 5G in particular is providing um, a lot of value in many areas of healthcare. Um, what solutions can 5G and IoT connectivity support primarily in this healthcare sector in your opinion? Um, so I can take the lead here. Yeah, you go. Yeah. No, go for it, go for it. Actually, there are plenty of solutions and ideas that can become a reality uh, with IoT and 5G. Uh, but of course, I will just give you a few examples, not all of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just the top two, Arslan, you know? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. <I don't... laughs> so, um, telemedicine and telehealth, both of them, they're one of the vertical industries that 5G networks have enabled. So there are several vertical industries that are associated with 5G. So uh, telemedic telemedicine and telehealth, they are, I think, one of the key enablers uh, because with 4G networks, there were certain bottlenecks such as speeds, reliability, uh, time-sensitive application, all of this. Uh, this was a certain bottleneck with uh, 4G networks and 5G uh, because it promises with its unique use cases it promises uh, really high speeds, uh, support to time-sensitive applications with latency as low as one millisecond, uh, and super high reliability. So we can overcome these bottlenecks through 5G. Uh, so in healthcare, uh, for example, the project that we are working on ourselves, it's uh, so one of the projects is called the Connected Ambulance. Uh, so what we are trying to achieve is sh sharing pre-hospital information with uh, remotely connected doctors or physicians so they can make early clinical decisions. Yeah. So this is one example. Uh, so now there are basic things as simple as vital signs within an ambulance uh, that are totally, not totally, but I would say pretty much useless if they're being measured within an ambulance but their yeah. doctor doesn't have access to it. So, but it's, it's something very simple, right? Uh, but if it is transferred successfully via um, a secure and reliable 5G network to a doctor, then they can make early clinical decisions. Um, apart from this, uh, there is another project that actually became a reality uh, because of the pandemic situation in UK. It's called the Techie Hub. Maybe you have heard about it. Mm. Uh, it's about, it's something similar. What they're trying to do is uh, share uh, information about uh, residents of care homes with doctors so you know the care homes were badly really badly affected yeah, they were, yeah. so the, to, just two simple gps uh, they came up with this idea that okay we can have a very small device which can at least give us access to basic things like temperature blood pressure etc from the care homes so we don't really have to expose those patients or force them to come to visit gps if they need us so these are very simple ideas and definitely they have, uh, if you talk about technology and IoT itself, it has all the capability to support these ideas. Uh, all we have to do is just uh, convince the authorities and the policymakers to have a shift towards uh, implementing these. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. I think, um, sorry, go on, Dan. I was just, just going to say, sorry. Um, that's that's that's. I know it's mentioning about what we spoke there, but it's very true that you've got um, these sort of nuances that five G. And I know we're going to cover it further, but it is it is quite exciting. The reality is is that we need the operators to keep doing what they're doing. You know, mm. they you know the guys who are laying the foundations or building the roads, if you want. You know, 
for us to achieve these really cool things. Um, and sometimes they do get a bad rap because, you know, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. But actually, they are the guys building these infrastructures for us. And we just got to keep delivering really cool ideas, particularly healthcare, whatever it might be. So we can keep pushing them to keep delivering those roads. It's, a, it's an interesting dynamic when you get to that side of it, too. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, uh, Nick Jeffrey, when he was actually yeah. at the helm at, at Vodafone, put some quite emotional posts up on LinkedIn yeah. about yeah. about people, you know, burning these masks, right? And um, and, and this is this is one of the aims of of me having this podcast show and and having fantastic people like yourself on to say, hey, look, do you realise kind of the benefits? You know, uh, it, it, it isn't this horrible monster that we see, and it's unfounded through this weird kind of pseudo reverse propaganda that we see about 5g yeah, exactly. uh it, it's actually fantastic and the benefits are fantastic so yeah i completely agree it's um it's a reciprocal thing you need to push the operators yeah. and the operators need people like you to be pushing the envelope on these solutions correct and then make it valuable for them right because it yeah. it's an investment from them yeah it's an investment from them yeah, absolutely. Guys, can we touch back more on the healthcare sector? So you've recently conducted a project into 5G in the healthcare sector. Can, can you talk a little bit more about this project and, and what it means for the way that we think about healthcare and, and this whole revolution of connectivity? Yeah, I might, I might just start, Oslan, and then I'll, I'll kind of hand over to you at some point in that chat because I think it's worth just explaining where it's come from, right? So, so this project was, um, it's founded on something called the uh, knowledge transfer partnership ktp so um again a bit of a big up for the uk government but there is there is funding available uh if you can team up with um a university in our case kingston university um and and the and the incredible you know um dr christos and dr nada who who are the guys and girls who bring their wireless capability and their and their knowledge and then we as a business go, do you know what? Actually, you guys have got some great knowledge. We've got some cool commerce. Let's bring that together with a bit of funding. We recruit someone who can lead a project, which we'll talk about. Now that's someone in this case is Auslan. Yeah. So, so Auslan's come in because, well, he's just incredibly talented and has a lot of background in this stuff. But we then sort of try to fix a problem, which is like, what's happening? And he, and he only briefly touched on it, which we'll talk about. You know, what happens when we are sending an ambulance to the hospital? Are we actually benefiting from helping what's going on in the ambulance to tell people, hey, do you know what, we're, we're, we're on our way to A&E. These are the very important vital signs, real time using 5G and the capability to make better decisions. That's what, you know, break it all down. IoT is really about, can I make better decisions with mm. machines making choices and helping me make choices. But the nitty gritty of that extends further. And like Ozan will probably touch on that, but you know, in terms of how we can take that into um, anything sort of camera related or other things that we can do using that technology for the greater good. Um, I, I don't quite remember the ins and outs of the stats, but I know, and I think most people on this podcast would probably agree that you always wait a long time at A&E, unless it's super, super, super urgent or there's something wrong. But generally that's one of the challenges for the NHS is that they're so bottlenecked at the A&E part, where what we're trying to create is a way to actually remove a lot of that bottleneck by making pre-diagnosis or kind of in-life diagnosis to prevent that bottlenecking. But to more about the project, I was going to probably tell you a bit more, the ins and outs. Yeah. Um, thanks, man. So, uh, you know that we sort of right now live in the era of big data. So you see data being generated all over everywhere with everything associated to you. 
So in in ambulances, uh, so the motivation of the project is basically something like this. So in ambulances, you have a lot of data. It's vital signs, ECGs. If the paramedics are capable, they do ultrasounds as well. So all of this data is only useful to doctors in A&Es, especially if it's a triple nine call. It's only useful once the ambulance actually hits uh, the A&E. That's it. Otherwise, it's for example, the London Ambulance Services, their waiting period or the transition period from the scene of emergency to hospital is around 15, 20 minutes. So in that 15, 20 minutes, which are super crucial if it's a critically ill patient, um, they're very important. So if in those 15, 20 minutes, the doctor has access to all this information and sort of has access to a, a, um, in ambulance video streaming, of course, consent based, uh, then we can make early clinical decisions to have benefits which are threefold. Uh, so the first one is, of course, enhancing healthcare. So you have the opportunity to save someone from not maybe, it will not maybe result in some sort of a fatality, uh, but at least uh, you can give someone a chance to not develop some disability. For example, in the cases of strokes, uh, certain cardiovascular diseases, um, then second is, as Dan mentioned, alleviating the pressure from A&Es. So the thing is that you have, like, even if you have very simple uh, symptoms, uh, which you can sort of, um, um, you can treat them at home, but because you have sort of like a panic that you need to go to A&E and you sort of go there, and you just stay there, you wait for four or five hours, and then you're attended. So all these cues, they can easily be avoided if you have remote access to a doctor. So this is one of the key uh, benefits that will unfold with uh, this project. And finally, the last one is about hospital avoidance. So sometimes there are panic calls. For example, I know one, I won't share the details, but, um, there was one panic call from a care home, uh, which was, um, which could easily be avoided and could, there could be, um, <clears throat> you could save a lot of resources in terms of uh, the paramedics, the time consumed, etc. all of it. So these can be avoided if you have remote access to doctors. So ambulance visiting a patient, the doctor can simply say that, okay, you just give this uh, very simple medicine, and that's it. Then you don't need to really bring in the patient to a and E's. So all of these combined, they are the motivation of the project. Uh, and the in-ambulance video streaming that I just mentioned, we are developing our own compression algorithm that will be super friendly in terms of bandwidth. So it's bandwidth consumption is always a problem, right? So um, this a question comes to mind that if you save resource and everything with this project, but at the same time, you're increasing some costs associated to bandwidth consumption, connectivity, but this is our main focus. We will make sure that our in-ambulance video streaming uses a certain compression algorithm that it will be super bandwidth friendly and it will cost very less in terms of bandwidth consumption. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, incredible. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I don't want to big it up, which is why I let, I let Arzan do it, but I'm still pretty humbled when he speaks about it to me because 
you know, what we're trying to do is, you know, he, you know, hopefully we can save lives or prevent certain, you know, not so great things happening to people. But equally, can we make it accessible so that it's not just the UK who can use it, but it could be a global thing we could do, right? Mm. Um, it's it, it doesn't matter where it goes. So you've got to deliver something that's going to have huge amounts of benefit, not be crazy in terms of cost, but can be easily deployed. And that's sort of part of this this journey we've been on, right? So we're sort of halfway through the three-year plan. Um, we're getting soon to sort of commercializing parts of it. And, you know, we will, we, uh, other than sort of underplays it, but, you know, we are creating our own IP on this. You know, there's a lot of things we're doing that we own. And we're very keen to work with a lot of our partners today in the UK who've got NHS contacts. And we want to be like, cool, let's like test this stuff out and start to see. Because it's not easy. We spoke about policymakers, you know, and the, and the policies being a bit behind technology. And we understand that, you know, we understand that. But actually, um, yeah, the outcome could be quite, quite dramatic. Yeah, I think, I think it's it's really fantastic. And we've had a, a few people on the show where they're doing projects um, that have a real world impact straight away. And this is what I love about having people like yourselves on because this is something that's going to affect everyone and affect people in their everyday lives, which sometimes when you talk about IoT, it seems like this kind of mystical thing that people don't really understand. But when you actually talk about it in real context, that's fantastic. The NHS gets a bit of a raw deal. Um, and I think and I think after the pandemic, you know, people have started to realise that, hey, this is a really great, fantastic service. So anything that's going to help them be better at their job, some of the projects that's happening with NHS X, you know, what you're, what you're doing here is, is fantastic. Um, you know, even from my personal point of view, I recently got Booper, uh, and uh, there was there was Babylon Health, which works in conjunction with Booper. I'm able to see a GP 24 hours a day within an hour's notice without having to put strain on on those services, and that's really, I guess, what this is about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Reducing yeah. that strain. Hundred percent. I mean, I think um, anywhere you can. Well, this is the purpose, right, of IoT. Like I said before, to make better decisions. It's to is to is to influence, um, I guess, sectors or markets where you can use technology to make it better. And you know, we spoke about the predictive maintenance example earlier, but this is more like a predictive personal maintenance type scenario, right? Where you where you are using uh, different types of technologies. But but as Ozan said, there are there are a lot of challenges, right? Like you can't just turn up and go, hey, I'm going to put a new thing in a in an ambulance and I'm going to go forward with it because you know we may talk about the other aspects where we want to use this. Um, or do we want to use this intellectual property for? But yeah, I mean, um, Tom, it's 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 great to be in a, in this sort of environment we are where we can help things like the NHS and and other health organisations around the world because I do see this as transferable. You know? mm. I do see the ability to um, to use something like you know, it's very few countries who don't have an ambulance. You could you, you could make one if you wanted to, right? But you have an ambulance. You generally have mobile connectivity. Cameras are able to be put in there, and doctors are able to be uh, brought into this ecosystem. And so, I think we can transfer it down the road. But yeah, I definitely want to prove our stripes in the in the UK market. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, Dan, I think you just touched upon it there. But you're you are making inroads, right? And you're conducting uh, this project within in policing and firefighting potentially. And this is something that you may be able to to transfer this across. Yeah, I'll touch a bit. Then again, like I said, I'll, I'll pass on to Arslan. So, so part of the business plan to to get this started was, you know, where else could you take the technology? So obviously we've explained the ambulance, but yeah. um, body worn. Basically, think of think of anywhere that a camera 
um, can be used where we have a more, I guess, friendlier algorithm to compress loads amounts of high definition video into manageable um, sort of bandwidth for for mobile technology. That's kind of the real dumbed down version of it, hmm. but it becomes useful when you think about body worn cameras using a single SIM that connects to all the networks. Yeah, so you never run out. Like, can you imagine, I mean, I, mean, I don't know the stats again, but I, I, I can imagine that, you know, policeman's chasing someone down and then he runs out of connectivity or, or like, you know, he loses the network. What we're trying to build is something that helps to move between networks that will choose the best, that will also be the right level of bandwidth control to make sure we get the footage, to make sure we can make the decisions, yeah? Um, so, so yeah, so body-worn cameras in the police, 100%, there's a big play for that. Um, and a lot of guys are interested in what we're doing there. Firefighting as well, for obvious reasons, you know, to be able to replay what happened or, or kind of what, what, what can be done. Um, We've particularly looking at the CCTV market where we can help situations there. Um, uh, um, I, I spoke to someone yesterday at my rugby club because um, we're now allowed to play outside again since this week or yeah, something. Yeah, which I is great. So super excited yeah. <laughs> to go to the outside. Um, and he is um, he's like an acting CEO for a computer vision company. Okay. And we're talking about cameras that effectively for autonomous vehicles when they're learning the road and they're kind of trying to figure out what's coming up as part of the AI piece. Um, and I explained to him, you know, what you need is strong algorithms to process all that stuff and particularly to keep the bandwidth low so you can deliver this globally. So, yeah, quite a few markets, I'll be honest. Um, you know, uh, plenty of place to go in terms of what you can do with it. But, yeah, I mean, we just want to get this part done as well. It's important to get those first milestones across the road. But, yeah, a few people are interested in it, which is great. That's fantastic. Um, so just adding a bit more about it, uh, just I will give you some scenarios how police, body-worn cameras and uh, similar situations for firefighters, how can they be helpful? So for example, if you have a body-worn camera with uh, 5G connectivity and it's it's just a use case and it is something, it's which is, it is a very hot topic right now all across the world. So you can easily identify people if you have uh, connect some AI-based algorithm running at the back end. Mm. So it, it, you can't have AI-based algorithms within the body-worn cameras because they're highly complex. They require a lot of computational power, etc. And you need decision in seconds. So a tiny device can't do that. So you connect them with cloud computing platforms. So again, 5G comes in. Mm. So 5G has things like multi-access edge computing, MEC. Uh, they're developing these platforms with Amazon, with Microsoft, different vendors. Um, so what happens is all this intensive processing, it takes place in these cloud computing platforms. So you have this body-worn camera, uh, you are taking a live feed, you have like, I don't know, you're in a chase or you are attending some emergency and you need quick identification of the people involved or the person in emergency. So you just feed that live video stream into the 5G uh, mobile edge computing and it gives you a decision that okay this is the person who you're attending to or chasing or whatever mm. similar is the case with firefighting so you can first of course in firefighting uh, safety and communication they go hand in hand so the more communication happens with, among the firefighters and within their headquarters the more safer they feel and of course they can perform their duty actively if they have good communication among each other. So 5G comes in there as well. And 
Um, if they have access to body-worn cameras, again, some AI-based algorithm that is yeah. happening at the back end that can help them to predict the speed and severity of a fire, that how fast is it going to spread and what actions need to be taken. So all of this, uh, it's not just about 5G, of course, it's yeah. definitely the back end, which is the artificial intelligence part as well. It, call, it all goes uh, hand in hand and breaks out, I think, yeah. absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yeah, without meaning to sound overly techy on this, um, I, I, I understand this quite well because I have a real personal interest in, in okay. video uh, compression, decompression systems uh, and also AI on the on the back end. In fact, we have, um, so at my house, we have a, a Hikvision NVR uh, with AI-based cameras, right? So the NVR will store the AI processing and would do image recognition um, and even look to see if the object is not a human object, right? So if it's your dog or something like that, it won't set off alarms. Um, similar tech, I suppose, in a way. Um, yeah. But but you're right. It's about the really cool. yeah. It's it's really cool, right? Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, can you imagine how many people have like you know not to play it down, but like almost had a heart attack from yeah yeah going off yeah. It's the cat just coming home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think, I think you're right. And I think you know, just to just to clarify that point, then for anyone that's listening that doesn't understand this, this is the advantage as well of five G and IoT, isn't it? Because when you look at software compression of um, video codecs, yeah, it's difficult to get that high quality video streamed back to the cloud over a four over a four G. Yeah. Um, and, and you need that in order to harvest that AI bank to be able to then start predicting and, and, and doing facial recognition. And that's the limitations of having a 4G, you know, real world, what, 40 megabits, something like that yeah. at best, maybe. Um, so this is yeah. this is this is absolutely. a fantastic thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's very well put. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, uh, it, it, guys, I'm, I'm curious to, to know where where this is all going. Um, and, and again, this is such a wide question. So, so maybe I'll ask each of you. Um, what do you think is a is a use case of five G in in the future? Something immediate that you see outside of what you're doing that you're personally looking forward to? Maybe start with uh, yourself, uh, Dan. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, happy to. So, um, I'll come at it from a telecoms perspective and a telecoms provider because that's a lot of my backgrounds in that and kind of thinking about things. And for me. I do, we do a lot of work with um, sort of, you know, I guess, tier one, tier two level ISPs, okay? And for them, they've been traditionally providing copper services or um, fiber services to homes or to businesses for a long time. And they've been stressed a little bit about what 5G brings because it's so, it, it, the potential is so powerful, yeah? That you can deliver these things over the year and within days and it's, it's got a lot. And my mantra has been a lot about, look, the way we are helping them um, kind of address that is that don't worry about like the competitive threat. Think about the ability to just focus on endpoints on your service. Just think about endpoints. How many more endpoints are there on a mobile environment than there are on fixed environments? Like, you know, there's one office of 20 people in, but that 20 people have actually got 20 endpoints. So you can connect more things, you can drive more business, you can be more excited about it. So, so for me, in terms of where that's going is, um, and this is a benefit to all, you know, um, the man in the street, the guy running a business, the whole thing is that 
we can use the over-the-air and underground technology, over-the-air being 5G, right? But the ability to connect people much quicker in terms of time taken to get a service, but then also to be more reliable if you combine those two together. So for me and my customers, the way I'm pushing it forward, I really believe that that is something that's maybe not thought about that much, but the blend of wireless and fixed together in what 5G brings is just going to be it's going to be great because it means we can we can we can do more critical deployments faster. Um, we spoke about I don't know if we mentioned, but you know we're doing a lot of um, sort of blood donor vehicles or breast screening vehicles and all this sort of stuff using um, where 5G is available. We're trying to use it for that or where we use combined 4G, and I can just see that becoming the norm, which is a great experience because you just get more out of that service and you can start to push more through it as well. So that's for me is one place I think it's really exciting. Thank you, thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. Arslan, how about yourself? Um, so for me, um, I actually want to uh, sort of highlight one thing, which is always missing when we have five G conversations. <laughs> um, it's about network slicing. Okay. Uh, so network yeah, good one. something. Yeah. It's I'll put it very in very easy words. It's about sort of when you're hungry or you're not hungry, you want a certain piece of the pie, like a bigger piece of the pie or a small piece of the pie. So that's what network slicing is. Uh, for example, you have a very resource hungry business. So you tell the network operators that, okay, you need these dedicated chunk of resources in terms of bandwidth, reliability and end-to-end -end delay that I want these chunk of resources for a particular period of time and you let me help you let me, I don't know, download something, upload something for this particular period of time. So I'm really looking forward to network operators having this capability of network slicing. So one application can be, for example, uh, self-driving cars, uh, Tesla self-driving cars, they have, so I don't know how frequent it occurs, but they do have to, just like our cell phones or laptops, they need to have software updates, right? So when a software update happens, you need to have a very strong, reliable and a high speed connection. So it happens really quick without a hiccup, even if you're moving. So Tesla can sort of tell the network operators that, okay, we'll pay you this much, but for these two, three hours, please make sure that all our cars, they have this dedicated chunk of resources so they can just easily have the software upgrade. So I'm, as a researcher, I'm really looking forward to this capability of network slicing in 5G. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's often overlooked, actually, as you say. Not yeah, many people, yeah. not many people talk about it, just despite you know uh, the, the massive benefits. And and just and just lastly, guys, um, because I know that we uh, we're slightly running over slightly on this, yeah, uh, but that's okay. Um, Pangea, where? Where's it going? Uh, what, what can we expect to see you guys doing in the future? Doing some fantastic stuff at the moment, but what, what should people be looking out for? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think for me, even though um, very, very humbled to be running a business for six years now, like it, you know, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of effort for anyone who's listening and, and, and is running a business, whether you're in year one or, or year yeah. 60, you know? <laughs> yeah, I can relate. <laughs> I had hair when I started. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, um, so it's pretty cool to still kind of be here doing our thing and being able to do this stuff with you guys, someone on the IoT podcast, you know. But I think I think it's about constantly doing the things that we love, which is creating the ability to number one help our partners sell into many more markets, right? So 
So it's our job to keep bringing the right inputs in terms of technology, capability, um, and, and, and of course, commercial capability as well. So you can sell and go out and do these things. Um, you know, maybe bringing that into kind of, um, you know, uh, specifics, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty keen on always looking at what are the transferable products and services we have. So sort of what Arslan's product, you know, that does belong more than just the UK. We should be looking at it further like that. Um, you know, we've got a lot of our uh, solutions now. I mean, just as an interest. So, yeah, so we can so we can connect almost anywhere in the world, but we have 51 countries that have a service in the world, which is pretty cool. Now, how do you make that? I, I'm not necessarily that keen on having it to be 52. Like that, that will happen naturally, but is how much in everyone can we do more? That's what mm. I'm pretty keen on. Like, how can we inflate per country? Like, why is it worked and how can we improve? But what that represents for the UK economy and for the current, most of our partners are UK based, is that is the ability to trade like that too. So how can we help those guys improve their um, their own environment um, through post-COVID and that kind of thing to actually trade more in many, many countries? So, so that's one thing that to me is about taking ourselves into the next you know, c connecting everything in, in more places is probably is probably what it's about. Um, and yeah, like, you know, 5G is very exciting. It's coming down the road, um, the various levels of it. Uh, for us as a team, I think, you know, constantly looking at what's the next bit of tech, you know, where's the um, solutions around, you know, Ozan told me the other day, you went to a conference and they're talking about 6G. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even baked the pie yet, to, you know, to, in terms of the slice. We haven't even done that part yet, but yet now we're talking about yeah, yeah. Know, a different kind of pie. So it's a cool place to be in terms of, you know, thinking of the next tech. It's, it's our job to make sure it's relevant for our clients. You know, how do we keep it relevant, whether that's geography or the type of technology or commercially. So that's our sort of plan. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, look, no, no doubt you're going to be a success. You've done some fantastic things already um, and, and, and looking forward to everything that you're going to do in the future. Uh, Dan Cunliffe, uh, Arzen Erzman, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Tom.